Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. It's episode 142, first episode of the 2023-2024 Serie A season. It's Jimmy and Steve here with you. Roma's coming off just about a little over 24 hours ago, coming off a 2-2 draw at the Olimpico against Salernitana. It was braces for Andre Bellotti and Antonio Candreva. Uh, Bellotti, not so much turning back the clock because he's still not even 30 yet. Candreva at 36, certainly turning back the clock. He's become a bit of a Roma killer in the last two seasons. We'll talk about that. Um, but, Jim, how you feeling after a 2-2 draw against Salernitana at the Olympico to open the season? I think the best way to answer that question is to ask you a question right back. Is there a better way that you could feel about this match? If I had told you that this was going to be a 2-2 draw, is this the best way that you could feel about this match going forward? Because for me, it is. Like, the fact that it's not a win is obviously disappointing. But – in terms of what we saw from a team without its captain, without its star player, without its manager, without its assistant manager, uh, I still would have liked the win because Roma should be able to beat Salernitana every day of the week and twice on Sundays. But regardless of that, I got to say there are a lot of positives. And I would rather have Andrea Bellotti back in goal-scoring form and a draw than a win off of, you know, like a defender scoring and winning 1-0. What do you think? Yeah, I, I told you yesterday, my, my hot take for this one that I was going to come on here and, and say, and as since you kind of brought it up, I'll, st- I'll start it off here at the top, was in the long run, this draw with Andre Bellotti having a brace will be more beneficial to Roma than Roma winning, getting all three points on like an own goal or something. Like Fazio hits it off his knee and it goes in and Roma wins one nothing. I, I strongly believe that because I think after we saw – the, I'll say, lack of form Andrea Bellotti was in last season. Kind of like mind-boggling lack of form when you think about his career record. Him scoring a brace, him playing, and it wasn't like a cheap brace. He played very well. I thought he had a very no, strong No, he played match. fantastic. That was he the played. best that I've seen Andrea Bellotti in a Roma kit, period, I think. And yeah, he, he let's be clear, he scored goals in Europe. Like, But like compared to how even he played in the Europa League last season, he was far better than I had seen him, period. Yeah. yeah, I think I think he there were quotes I put into my piece about him a couple weeks ago, and I don't have it pulled up right now. But he basically said how important the preseason was for him getting to train with the players, getting to train. You know, it's very different training individually. I'm sure he kept himself in, in yep. pretty good physical shape last season. But it's physical fitness, you know, you and I both work out. Physical fitness is very different than stepping onto a, a pitch. Right. And trying to run yeah. for 90 minutes. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, no, it's, r- it's riding, a huge difference. Yeah going out and running at the park or whatever he was doing to keep himself in shape, gym, fitness center, wherever he was, it's completely different than, than sprinting to press a player and, and, you know, making a run at goal and controlling the ball and doing all those things on, on a, with other players and getting to know those players. And I thought he looked very sharp. He looked confident. I mean, the, the, the confidence wasn't there for him last season in, in part because he wasn't fit and then he got little knock. He had the wrist issue. He had the other issue. I think the rib issue. And I can only imagine how painful the rib issue must've been trying to, to breathe after making sports. Oh, yeah, without like that. So he not only feels good physically, I think, but I think that in turn has him feeling good mentally because he was yeah. on point yesterday. I had the, the, the tweet that I ended up putting out 
about five minutes later because he, he had that first goal called offside. It was around the eighth minute. Uh, I mean, if he was a shoe size smaller, so that that's a goal. And we're talking about a, a possibly a hat trick today. Um, yeah, seriously. So, so marginally like offside. It's like when, when they're that close, like it's a guy's toenail. Like you're like, how does that give him any advantage? I know the rule's the rule, but it's like, man. And then I was like, oh, geez, I hope like it doesn't come back and bite him and he has a, a poor match after this or something because he needs a goal so bad. And then he scored, gee, let me double check the, the timing. It was the 17th minute. So about eight minutes later or so, he scored Yeah, he was out for blood. Yeah. Um, um, and I mean, I would just add. Controlled the ball like, lovely too, yeah. right? On, those, on the offside goal and the goal he finished with his foot. His this control was, the was there. Bellotti, yeah. This was the Andrea Bellotti that I think we all expected when he signed for Roma last season. Uh, this was a player who, you know, had been hinting at Keppo Canonieri seasons before while he was at Torino. Um, Obviously, his best season at Torino was in the 2016-2017 season when he scored 26 in the league. Um, You know, he had other seasons that were quite good as well, including, you know, 2019-2020, where he scored 22 across all competitions. But this was a player who, you know, was a consistent member of the Italian national team, a, a guy who, by all accounts, was probably one of the best players in a non six sisters club uh, for several seasons. And so when we signed him as a free agent last season, it really, my thought, and I mean, like Steve, I I ribbed you a little bit about it when we were, when I was previewing the forwards for the the website this, this year, but we thought that we were basically taking a guy in Tammy Abraham who could score 30 goals a season and adding a guy who could score 15 goals a season and adding Paolo Dybala and hoping that Nicolo Zaniolo could be healthy. Like there was good reason to think that the club would have its most potent attack in decades starting last season. And obviously that wasn't the case. Obviously it really fell apart for a bunch of reasons, but this is the Andrea Bellotti that we thought we would be seeing. And I'm not going to expect him to score a brace every match. I think that's, you know, a little unfair. (laughs) <laughs> to put it mildly, but at the same time, as you were saying, with when it comes to the mental level of this, so much of a striker's performance in particular is mental. And yeah. when you're able to start off a new season and say, I've scored two goals, I've scored, I know what it feels like to hit the back of the net. That is so important when it comes to developing future form. Uh, we're hoping, and we'll talk about this later in the podcast, we're hoping that both in the next week or two and then in January that he'll be supplemented by other exciting strikers. Uh, But at the same time, uh, I'm not saying that Roma doesn't need another striker right now. They definitely do with Tammy Abraham out. He looked like a guy who could be a starting striker last last on Sunday. And that's not even talking about the actual goals scored. I'm just talking about how he looked on the pitch. I'm talking about making himself available for chances. I'm talking about, doing everything that you want out of a striker, even if they don't score during the match. Uh, yeah. And I mean, obviously let's, let's not get the cart before the horse, but that was a really exciting match for the Belotti fans out there. Um, any other players in terms of like players who had been with the club already that stood out to you over the course of the 90 minutes? Cause I have a couple that I would love to talk about. Yeah, I'll just I'll just finish on Belotti quick, and then I'll get into uh, your question too. Like he was a guy two summers ago, and Mourinho was hired before we knew who our striker was going to be. Before Abraham was brought in, 
I tabbed him as like the perfect Mourinho guy because he works his tail off. He can score goals. You know, he can play isolated if he has to. He was playing on Torino and not getting a lot of service and still scoring goals. I thought he'd be a perfect fit because he'll do all that pressing, all that that hard work. And I think now, I think also mentally, he knows like this is his opportunity, right? Tammy's out injured. Last year, he came in to be Tammy's deputy, right? The vice Tammy or whatever you want to call him. And now he's like, you know what? This Marcos Leonardo kid's not arriving yet. He was supposed to be here a couple weeks ago. This is a pot to move if, if it happens, isn't happening yet. I've got a chance to really cement myself in the team sheet and make Zapata my backup, right? Zapata will play when I need a rest or when Mourinho te- you know, decides to give some of his big guns a rest. And I think he really has an opportunity to kind of take the bull by the horns here. And starting with the brace, obviously he starts next match, whether Zapata arrives this week or not. We'll get into that later. But – there's no way he gets benched now, right? And then if he puts another strong performance, even if he doesn't score next week against Hellas, it's hard to take him out of the starting 11. I think as a veteran, as someone who's been the man at Torino for as long as he was, he knows this is his chance. Not to be the man because Paulo Dybala is here and there's other bigger stars uh, at this point in his career, but he's got a chance to be the man at the number nine position for the foreseeable future, I think. And um, they do need another striker because you can't play with one striker for as long as it'll be until Leonardo arrives if, and depending on how ready he is for a big league. But I think Belotti, he has a very good opportunity here. Um, <clears throat> in terms of like incumbent players who stood out, to me, it was more of the the newcomers. I think if we're talking about starting 11, none of the, the, the incumbents kind of stood out. I thought probably the best incumbent player yesterday was when Zalewski came off the bench. That was my – that was going to be what I wanted to talk about. But Tulevsky, okay, not to – actually, you know what? He's been injury-free for long enough that I feel like I can make this statement. Spinazzola has been disappointing since he came back from that ACL tear um, in the Euros. Like, let's just be real about it. It has not been the Euros level or even that season before the Euros level Spinazzola that we were all hoping to see since he came back from the injury. And that's understandable. It was a serious injury. Let's, yeah. let's not Achilles be, for uh, a guy who's a speedster is big. big exactly. Big that's pretty killer. And like the speed isn't necessarily even gone, which is like good to see, um, which makes me have hope that he can be helpful in the future. But I said this during the match in our little writers group chat, but the difference between what Spinazzola and Zalewski looked like on the pitch against Laritana was night and day. Zalewski looked like old Spinazzola. He looked like peak Spinazzola out there in terms of creating chances, in terms of like marauding down the flank and actually giving defenders headaches. Spinazzola, as he was, was not providing those offensive chances. And comparatively speaking, he was never as much of a defensive-minded fullback. So it was not like I was expecting him to be like world-class defender, but he also wasn't providing much defense either. So to see Zalewski out there after a season where last year it was, you know, he was being put in out of position. He was being expected to become a star because he was one of the best prospects out of the Primavera. But like, you know, he wasn't necessarily well suited for the role that he was being given. And to see him succeed, I would say succeed. Uh, against Salernitana in that left wing back, left attacking wing back role was encouraging for his long-term future. He was number two in our uh, youth countdown, but I would argue that personally, I thought he looked better than our number one, Bove, um, in that match against Salernitana, that I thought that he looked 
way more suited to first team football than Bove did uh, coming out of that match. What do you think about Bove? Um, Cause he got the start, but I, I just was not very impressed with how he looked. Maybe that was being paired with Cristante. Maybe that was being without a Dybala type player, but what, what did you think about Bove? Yeah, I think Zalewski certainly outshined Bove. I thought Bove had a very quiet match. I thought Cristante wasn't the greatest. I know he covered a lot of ground. I retweeted a tweet by um, one of the accounts. I forget which one it was, but he he did cover like his heat map was expansive, right? And that's what Cristante does. But I thought he was fairly quiet by his standards. Um, he wasn't really in great position on the first goal that Kondreva scored. I know, I know Smalling also didn't look good on that goal. He got turned pretty easily by Kondreva coming at him with pace. Um, there, there weren't a lot of those like incumbent types that impressed me yesterday. I mentioned he was all right. Uh, he didn't shine or really, you know, falter much. Um, but I'm looking around the starting 11 here. Even El Shorey was kind of quiet. He kind of picked it up later in the match when he created that opportunity that Belotti just didn't get his toe on to um to get Roma's third goal. Um, but really, the guys that stood out in the starting 11, I thought Lorente had a very strong match. I thought um, Awar looked good. I think he's going to add a different dimension to this Roma midfield. I think he kind of adds that Mkhitaryan type, you know, uh, mm-hmm. style game where he can move the ball. He'll get stuck in, in a challenge when he has to. We saw in the preseason he can score a goal. I'm excited to see him linked up with players like Pellegrini and... Dybala when they come back. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I think that Alwa, honestly, not to become too reactive to one match, but the new players in Roma's midfield looked fantastic. Um, I don't know what they gave Paredes over in Russia or Paris, but this is a different player than what we saw the the last time that he was in Rome. Um, This is a guy who, in my opinion... Basically, in his sub minutes, embodied what you want from a regista. Um, he looked legit to me. Um, and maybe this is just another one of those situations where PSG buys up all these expensive, exciting players and then lets them rot. And then the moment they're out of there, they have a chance to shine. Based off of what I saw from Renato Sanchez and um, Leandro Paredes, I would believe that 100%. But both of them were very impressive to me in their sub-minutes. Um, and I'm excited to see what they can do in starters' minutes, which I imagine they'll be getting sooner rather than later, considering how they were brought in. Uh, I would also add that, you know, I agreed that Lorente was good. The only new player who I thought looked like a new player um, was Rasmus Christensen. But yeah. Unlike other people, I'm not necessarily saying, like, oh, he's done for, you know, he's toast. Like, this is a guy who is new and unfortunately whether you like it or not defenders are way more likely to be exposed in their first couple matches with a new club than attackers um it's a whole lot easier to look quiet and not necessarily cause damage as a new attacker versus a new defender and so i'm not necessarily too worried i'm sure that he'll round into form over the course of you know the next couple matches um but i would say that from my perspective, Awar, Paredes, and Renato Sanchez looked fantastic. Um, Renato Sanchez in particular, I said this in our uh, match, in our season preview. My gut about him signing for Roma was that in terms of sheer talent, not ability to stay on the pitch, but talent, 
I would put him up with Paolo Dybala as one of the two most talented players in the side right now. And, you know, the problem for him for his entire career has been what can he stay on the pitch? Um, and that's what we said the moment that he came into the club. We were like, oh, this guy's fantastic. Can he stay on the pitch? What I will say is that after one appearance, if we're able to get, let's say, like 20 more appearances out of him that look like what we just saw against Salernitana, that is worth the 15 million euro fee that is reportedly tied to his appearance numbers. Like if he, if we're able to get three quarters of his appearances and it looks like he looked how he looked against Florentana, I'll be happy and I'll be happy to pay that fee. Um, what did you think about Renato Sanchez in particular? I thought he looked good. And in, in, there was that one highlight I saw too, that somebody brought back up after the match and it was where he gets the ball. Someone tries to take it off him deep in Roma's territory. He makes that gut busting run. Like you could just see the physicality and the pace. Like he, he could just shrug other players off that try to take the ball off him. And I think it was the play that set up uh, El Shirari for a near goal, or uh, El Shirari might have been the one that El Shirari crossed. I don't remember the, what the final result was, but he is the box-to-box presence. I think that Roma really lacked last season that they kind of hoped Wijnaldum would have been. But even compared to Wijnaldum at this point in his career, man, if, if Sanchez can stay healthy physically, he is at another level, I think. I mean, let, let's put it this way. This guy is a 2016 golden boy, right? Like, I mean, yeah. that was not that long ago. <laughs> Um, yeah. It was it was long enough ago that he's no longer just like young and on the level of you know a Gavi or Pedri or whoever, but he's still quite young. He's only twenty five, twenty six, yeah. and for Roma to have brought in a player who has that level of quality at that age, all I can say is if he's healthy, um, it will certainly make a difference for this Roma side in a long-term sense, not even just this season. I just mean like having him as a midfield option, if healthy, is going to be huge. Yeah, I think the midfield, and that was one of the things I put into the the three things we noticed piece. First, I talked about Belotti. Second, I talked about the midfield and, and how these three players, these new players, all contributed in their first match and in different ways. And I think it really gives – Mourinho kind of like a good toolbox of different style midfielders he can play at different times. You know, yeah. I am sure Cristante is still going to get a lot of minutes because he seems to be, you know, his boy. And But I think there's going to be more times than we saw in the past that Cristante gets rested when maybe he normally wouldn't have, when Pellegrini could get rested. Because, you know, everybody has their favorites on the team and at certain positions. But for the benefit of Roma, if we have six midfielders and when you take the three new guys, Cristante, Pellegrini, and Bove – and you consider those the six midfielders, like yeah. he's got two for every position if he's playing a five three two most of the time. Yeah. And I mean that's what he's all, always all been for different for, things. to be clear. Yeah. Like that's always what he could like last season in particular, one of the things as Roma's Serie A campaign was kind of falling apart at the seams due to multiple competitions going deep. One of the things he said was, you know, compared to Inter Milan, compared to AC Milan, compared to Napoli, we don't have two at every position right now. And at least in terms of midfield, I feel pretty confident in saying that Roma has two at every position right now. And he, he he's even said that in the, in the pre-match leading up to Salernitana. He said, look, with the midfield as it stands now, I've basically got doubles for every position that I can envision mm-hmm. for this side, which is huge. And it also makes sense, like it adds context to why, you know, when he was being interviewed prior to the season, he said, 
Am I disappointed that Roma hasn't gotten another striker yet? Of course. Am I still happy with this transfer window? Yeah, essentially. He said, like, look, I'm I'm happy with how Roma has operated in this transfer window. And again, a lot of it hinges on injuries because it always hinges on injuries. No matter how injury prone a player is, a club success is going to hinge on injury availability. Um, yeah. Like, let's put put it this way. If like, I hope that doesn't happen because I want Roma to beat everyone at full strength. But let's say that Napoli loses Kavara for a year off an ACL tear. Like that will negatively impact their ability to win the Scudetto again. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I, and like I would or say Osteman, the same right? thing. If goes exactly. Down. If the wrong person goes down with an ACL tear and we know how random that can be. Um, that's just the way that it goes. And a lot of people, like, I think I saw this a lot when people were commenting both on Twitter, on CDT, regardless of where we were talking about after the Salernitana match, people were saying, Oh, you know, close is only good in horseshoes and hand grenades. Like we drew this match against a club that will be mid table to low mid table um, this season. Like what positives am I supposed to get out of this? As much as it's true that Roma only got one point out of this, I still saw a lot of positives for the side. And yeah, I, I mean, still, yeah, exactly. I was going to say, like, we started I, with Bellotti, and then I put the tweet out. I'm just going to interject for a second and talk about positives. Salernitana's XG was point, 0.14, right? 0.14, which means they basically created almost no chances. Yep. It was two, it was two wonder goals. Wonder, yeah, the second one, especially, right? And could the marking have? I, I saw a, a still image of where Spinazzolo was positioned when Condreva was like kind of drifting out wide and received that. Yeah, sure, he had space, but look where he shot the ball from, and look look at the the curly put on with his left foot when he's right footed player, right? So yeah. you can you can criticize Spinazzolo for a lot of things this match. I think he was very good, but to say he was he was at fault for the goal because he gave him too much space. Yes. In a sense, yes, but if you give any player that space in that position, yeah. 99.9% of the time, they're not making that goal, especially as a right-footed player. Yeah, so, let me put it this way, too. Like I was closing down in time. Yeah, let me put it this way. I was watching with my folks. I'm on vacation with my family right now. And so, you know, with my dad being here, he decided to watch the game with me. And he looked at the team stats at the end of the match because, you know, they showed that on the Paramount Plus stream. And he looked at the shots and the shots on target and the possession and the passes and the pass accuracy. And he was like, Roma did better than Salernitana in pretty much every stat that they're showing right now. How is this a draw? And I was like, well, that's sometimes how football goes. And that's basically the only answer that you can give. Um, Looking at the team stats right now, Salernitana literally only had three shots. Two of them were shots on target and two of them were goals. Yeah, exactly. Like Roma had 60% possession. And an 81% pack, pass accuracy compared to Salernitana, who had 332 and a 72% pass accuracy. So not only did they have over 100 fewer passes, they were less accurate with those passes. Salernitana had four yellow cards. And I would argue that, you know, based off of some things by former Roma player Norbert Jomberg, that there should have at least been one red card for Salernitana. I, I don't yeah. know if he saw it, but like with, with him grabbing Belotti at one point, that, that looked like a red card to me, or at the very least a penalty. Um, so I hate to be the guy who's like, look at the stats. This was kind of a bad refereeing job because we've seen that happen a lot with Roma over the past couple of seasons. 
But still, look at the stats. This was a pretty crappy yeah. refereeing job, and this ended up with the draw. Um, I've, I've watched a lot of Roma matches where it seemed like the refs screwed Roma over, and most of the time those end in losses. So the fact mm-hmm. that this ended with a, a draw coming from two goals from a player who we really need to start scoring goals, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of positives here. Yeah, there were some lulls from Roma, I know, especially when it was 2-1, and, and, and there were some lulls in the match. But that, that's bound to happen over a course of 90 minutes, and I think that's why the subs were made when they were made, and, and the subs had an impact. So I think there are plenty of positives to take from this. For one, like we said, Belotti with a brace. That's the biggest one, in my opinion. Yeah. Number two, I mean, they created chances for Belotti. Aside from that, they created chances as a team. I mean, so close, the small header that got saved by Ochoa and Mancini just couldn't react quick enough to keep it down. He hit it over the bar. Like, if that goes in, it's 2 nothing, And then the match probably, I think, is done and dusted. I don't think Roma gives that up at that point. Honestly, I don't. Um, but the fact that they only conceded an XG of 0.14, it took two wonder goals from Kandreva. That, that was the difference, right? That's why, like you said, football is a funny sport like that, right? If you dominate an American football like this over the course of 60 minutes, you're winning almost every time, probably every time, right? Because if you have that much ball time on the ball and all that other stuff and different stats, American football or if, if, in baseball, if you're hitting the ball that much better than your opponent, right? If your opponent's not hitting the ball, they're probably not scoring two runs, right? If they have like yeah. a, a batting average similar to what like Salerno Tano was doing with the ball yesterday when they had possession. So yeah. I know they're apples to oranges comparisons, but <clears throat> I say, I don't want to say nine out of 10, because I think it's even a little bit higher percentage. I'd say like 95% of the time, Roma wins this match at least, if not more. Yeah. Well, I would agree. Um, and that's not to say that I would accept this kind of performance from Roma every single week. I think that Roma can do better and will do better. But I mean, let's just be honest and say that we're looking at a situation where the captain's not playing, where that's the Roma's, other part of it, right? Where Roma's best player is not playing where Roma's manager isn't available and where Roma's assistant manager isn't available. Like Bruno Conti is not supposed to be managing this South. Like, like I like him. Don't get me wrong. He's done a great, like, let's talk about the fact that I I don't think he gets enough credit for how good Roma's Academy is. He's the head of youth development and Roma's Academy for at least a decade now has been churning out guys who are at the very least Serie A level, which is to be respected considering most even big Serie A clubs don't do that on a regular basis. Um, but still, like, his job is not to be the, the, the club manager. Um, and the fact that we got through this with at least one point without the manager, assistant manager, star player, captain, I can't help but look at this and say, well, you know, all things considered, it's not the worst that this could have gone. Um, I think that a win would have been fantastic. I think that in some ways a win should have been expected, but that doesn't mean that I'm disappointed in the draw. Yeah, I agree. And, and like you said, Dybala wasn't there. Pellegrini wasn't there and they, they still created quite a few opportunities. So yeah, I think that there are definitely some positives to take from it. Um, quick shout out to Pagano. He got on in the last couple of minutes, made his, I believe that was his debut, right? First time it was, on, yeah. on the pitch in a steady on match. So just, I was, just hoping technically the, I, I was hoping he'd be the goal. I, ho- I was hoping he'd be the goal, but, you know, uh, it's okay. He'll have to wait for another couple of matches maybe to score his, his, first, his first for the club. Yeah. But um, 
definitely some positives to take from it. I, I agree. So I think we'll take our quick ad break here and then we'll get into a couple other things. All right. So we're back, Jim. I mean, definitely some positives to take from it. I think what we have to talk about a little bit now is there was a little formation tweak. I was, yeah. I meant to ask you this before. Were you surprised it was Smalling that came out where they shifted to the four-man back line? Because I was a little surprised. I didn't expect it. So my guess there that was that in some part it was about Smalling's fitness levels. In the same way that I saw some people commenting that, oh, why did Awar look so tired after 50 to 60 minutes? Um, and like he disappeared after minute 60. It was like, well, maybe he was tired. And we're still early enough in the season that we can't necessarily expect some of our players to be able to do the full 90 just yet. That was my thought. Um, I Smalling didn't have a world-class performance against Salernitana. It was fine. It wasn't great. It was fine. Um, but I am, I am wondering how Roma's starting 11 looks once Ndika gets up to speed. Because something that Mourinho has said throughout the time since Ndika joined the club is essentially, like, I see Ndika's quality. He's an excellent player. He's not there tactically with us just yet. Which makes me think that once he is there tactically, that he will be getting a start. And Lorente, based off of his performance, at least against Laritana, and in general his performances since he joined the club last season on loan, has been excellent, like has been worthy of the start. Um, yeah. And I don't necessarily see Mancini being a player who will get benched either. So my guess is that on some level, the club anticipated Ibanez being sold in the summer window and was thinking of Indica not necessarily just as an Ibanez replacement, but as a guy who can spell Chris Smalling as he's getting older. And like, let's just be honest, you know, father time is undefeated. He's going to be able to make Chris Smalling into a lesser defender over time. Uh, so my, my guess is that Chris Smalling as Indica becomes more ready for starting 11 and just minutes in general, is going to be less of a guaranteed part of the starting 11 going forward. Like he'll still be a key player, but he's old. Like, let's just be honest. He's old. And yeah, yeah. giving him a chance to recover, maybe saying every other match is your start. That seems like a smart move. And, you know, these are the type of things that you do when you've got more depth. Uh, Roma couldn't do that with Chris Smalling last season. And we saw this with Chris Smalling. We saw this with Zalewski. We saw this with Pellegrini. When there's not really any depth behind a player in the starting eleven. You get to March or April, and they're just worn down to the point where they're almost forced to be out of form. Like, people were complaining about Pellegrini's form in March or April, and I was like, when was the last time Pellegrini got a break? And that was, yeah. like, like, like this, this guy has general, genuinely been playing, like, 95% of Roma's matches, and his, the matches were coming once every three days. So expecting anything other than a player who's tired, like, is insane to me. So I'm hopeful that the Indica signing takes a little bit of pressure off of Smalling, allows him to have a more reasonable kind of breathe-in, breathe-out schedule. 
over the course of the season compared to what he's been used to over the past season or two. Because I think that that's the way that you make sure that he's an impact player as he kind of enters the twilight years of his, of his career. You make sure that he can play when it's important, but not have to play 90 minutes against every single club that we face. Yeah, and I, I think that's indicative of the, whole, of the whole back line last year, right? The whole back line played a lot of minutes. I just pulled up last year's stats. So aside from the three center backs, only two players played more minutes than any of them. It was Rui Patricio, who made 35 starts. He played 3,150 minutes, which is for a keeper, you know, keepers aren't doing the running and all that other stuff. Yeah. Brian Cristante played just under 3,000 minutes last year, right? That mm-hmm. shows the lack of depth in the midfield. Then yeah. the next three players were Mancini, Ibanez, and Smalling. Um, Mancini, 2,858 minutes. Smalling, 2,808 minutes. And Ibanez, 2,796 minutes. That's now, let me just minutes. pause for a moment to remind us that Roma had one of the best defenses in Europe last season. Yes. So it's not – they. That is one of the situations actually where increased time did not result in poor form over the course of the season. Those guys were solid throughout the entire season. But Small did end up getting injured, remember, late. But he did, but he did. And that was was critical. Um, And let me put it this way. If I'm Mourinho and I look at what went wrong last season, I look at at the squad and say, this squad was able to get me to a Europa League final and be fighting in and around the Champions League spots for 95% of the season. Because it only really became a lost cause to get Champions League football once Europa League final was lost, and before that, you know, like a couple match weeks before for Serie A. Um, Given that, the answer is to develop more depth and to make it so that your starting 11 doesn't have to play every single match to be fighting on multiple fronts. And we can get into, especially once the transfer window is closed, we can discuss more about what the failings of Tiago Pinto over the course of this transfer window. And the striker situation is obviously number one on that list. However, the signings of Indica, the signings of Awar, who, in my opinion, looked like one of the most talented midfielders that we've had in a while against Salernitana. Um, those are key signings in terms of making sure that Roma can play well against multiple opponents across the course of a week. Um, Making sure that, you know, if there's three matches in seven days, Roma doesn't look tired by the time the third match rolls around. Um, That's what you got to do to be able to be successful. That's why Manchester City can fight on multiple fronts because they've got depth. And I'm hopeful that in defense and midfield and, you know, knock on wood, in attack eventually, Roma is developing that depth um, that the club is getting to the point where, you know, there's maybe two for every position. And if there's not two for every position, there's enough that you can say, mm, you know, you can like squint a little bit and say, Ola Sobakin can play at any position as a forward or something along those lines. Yeah. And I think overall this season, because we saw it when, when Lorente arrived, because I just don't think um, Mourinho trusted Kambula enough last year to play him consistently. I think that's what it came down to with those three playing so many minutes. I know some of Laurenti's starts were forced because small and they get injured, but I think we will see him more often rotating in once Dick is up to speed than we saw Kambula last year. Like last year, he didn't even trust Kambula to be like, oh, we're playing 
uh, who was even, I don't even remember who was in last place last year, but you know, we're playing Salerni time. We're playing Empoli. We're playing one of those type of sides. He didn't really trust Kambula in that position. Um, yeah. Sampdoria, Sampdoria was terrible last year. It, I forgot because that's not a club that's usually that bad, but you know, yeah. this year, if they're playing Frozenone, uh, you know what? Mancini started three games in a row. We have Europa League coming up. Let's rest Mancini and play Lorente, or let's rest Small and play Lorente. I think we'll see more of that this year. Yeah, um, I agree. My other thing I wonder, too, now that the midfield, and if this is obviously if the midfield stays healthy, you have that, you know, I guess conundrum, but in a, a good way. It's like a good conundrum to have, like, who are your three starters in a certain match? Or are there times against certain opponents? Because we saw it when Roman was down to man yesterday. They switched to a four-man back line, like, how viable is a four-man back line where you can get three of three of these midfielders, right? You can play like a four-three-one-two mm-hmm. with Pellegrini in front of them, and then DiBala paired with Belotti. Like you can get more quality into your midfield and really, really win the midfield battle more easily and take a little pressure off the defense that way. Like I wonder if with four center backs, it's smarter sometimes to play two have two reserves, right? So you're not like playing three center backs, only one backup, which they normally have been doing. And then you have like Cristante with our and I don't know, Sanchez flanking him. And then it's Pellegrini in front of them, or it's Paredes with, you know, Cristante and our, or some combination like that. I I wonder how much Mourinho toys with that aspect. If he's maybe been working on that to some extent, I know a lot of the boards we saw had three, three defenders, but I feel like the midfield quality maybe might push him toward that direction at some point. Um, That's my guess. Yeah, I, I would imagine that we might be moving towards a four-man defense. I also think it's underrated to say that, you know, Brian Cristante is not a center back by trade, but he does he a pretty do good it, job yeah. at yeah. center back. Like, this is not one of those situations where it's like, oh, if you squint hard enough, Zeki Selleck can be a uh, center back or Rick Karsdorp can play at center back. This is not that situation. This is a guy who his midfield role is in some ways more of an advanced center back than anything else. And this is, and so like, given that I would say that Roma almost has four and a half center backs available um, because I'm not too worried when I see Cristante at center back, to be honest with you. Uh, Given that, I am curious how moving forward with Pellegrini available soon, this midfield shapes out in terms of who is Marino's first choice in midfield. Very curious for Saturday. Yeah, me too. I I think that Pellegrini, Awar, Paredes, and Sanchez all have reasons to be starting in that midfield. I think that they all are talented. I think that Awar and, and Pellegrini have more overlap in terms of ability. But at the same time, during the preseason, we saw Awar and Pellegrini playing together. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's also just the open question of how Dybala fits into all of this. These are great problems to have, by the way. Of like course. I would be, yeah. I'd be very happy to have the same problem in the midfield at left back, for example, or right back or fullback in general. Like, I, I wish that we had this depth in fullback as well. Well, we have uh, the depth of right back. It's just not always quality, right? Because we have three yeah, right backs yeah, we've now. Got, <laughs> we've got bodies. Do we have quality is the question. Right. Um, but, you know, I guess I would say that these... I, obviously, I think Bove gets dropped, right? Probably for Pellegrini. Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, and like, Bove... for Dybala. 
Yeah, I would probably say so. I mean, my my guess is that Bove, Bove still, I think this season is going to be closer to a rotation option than a starter. Um, And that's not really even just a comment on his performance against Salernitana, which was like fine, not great, but fine. Um, It's more just a fact of the matter. Like we were, I was, when I was writing our, um, U23 youth countdown. Uh, one of the big problems that I saw for Roma in terms of its youth was that we have a lot of exciting prospects in midfield. Mm-hmm. And we also have a really deep midfield in the senior squad already. And like when you look at it with, through that lens, it, it becomes more understandable. This, this rumor's died down, but like, you know, there was a rumor in July that Giacomo Faticanti had requested a transfer. And when you look at the depth chart in midfield, you kind of understand why. It's like, okay. Pellegrini, Awar, Cristante, Renato Sanchez, Leandro Paredes, Eduardo Bove. That's six midfielders ahead of him for three positions. And you're like, can you really break through? Um, It's a good situation for Roma to be in, to be very clear, because what's been holding Roma back has been a lack of depth. But still, um, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out over the course of the season with our midfield depth, because whether it's Fadikanti, whether it's Pisili, whether it's Bove, we've got a really, a lot of exciting young players who could become parts of the first team sooner rather than later. And maybe that's part of why Roma's felt more comfortable bringing in more injury-prone midfielders uh, in the transfer window, because they're like, well, I mean, if Renato Sanchez gets injured, worst case scenario, we've got some of the most exciting Italian young midfielders to bring in as options. I, I honestly think that might be part of it. Like Mourinho can say, yeah, bring in Renato Sanchez. And if he win- succeeds and is healthy, then we're winning. And if he's not, then we can bring in these exciting teenagers. That would be my guess, honestly. Um, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with that starting midfield. My guess is as the Europa League and Coppa Italia start up, it'll feel like less of a problem, though. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say, once the the midweek matches start kicking in, it won't feel like a problem. It'll feel like a solution to a problem we've had in the past. I I, I think that's exactly right. Uh, Because right now, it's like, well, we're only playing one match a week. We play Saturday, then we play Milan next Friday. And then it's like, I think there's an international break. So you want to get guys mint. You want to get guys into the starting lineup. I think most likely because of how long he's been with the squad and he looked good on uh, Sunday. I think Awar starts. I think yeah, Cristante I starts. I know there's people on Twitter that are leaving out Cristante from a potential starting 11, leaving out Pellegrini from a potential starting 11. There's no way Pellegrini does not start on Saturday. There is no way. Also, let's just be honest here. I know that Cristante is a incredibly divisive topic among the Romanisti. Like, I know that that's true. However, just in terms of how many starts and how many minutes, I'm pretty sure that he was outside of goalkeepers, the number one minute getter last yep. season. Yep. This is not a guy who's going to be benched <laughs> anytime soon, um, other than for injury. Like, let's yep. just be honest. Like, like, you can have your gripes with him. And if you have your gripes with him, to be honest with you, bring it up with the manager and not just the manager, bring him up with like the past three managers because he's been a guy who has consistently started and you can, you can say, I don't like how he plays. I don't like how he plays sometimes, but it's clear to me that 
everyone from Daniela De Rossi to Roberto Mancini to Jose Mourinho sees him as an important starter. And yeah. my guess is that it will probably remain that way. So you should probably pencil him in almost as much as you should pencil Lorenzo Pellegrini in as captain into the starting 11. Yeah, I think he'll play a little less this season just because now there's some depth to rest the guy for one, for once in a while. You yeah, know, like I know like, he's been like a track. And again, this is field. one of the things that's been so bugging me about the conversation around some of our players from last season. It's like, oh man, Lorenzo Pellegrini and Brian Cristante, their form really went down once the spring rolled around. And I was like, do you realize how many minutes those guys have logged by the time that March 15th comes around? Exactly. Like, like I, if, I, I mean, like, look, I, I work at a, a really good amount and I would get winded if I even thought about putting in as many minutes as they do just on the pitch alone during matches yeah. over the course of that extended period of time. I'm not talking about training, which they have every day regardless. I'm just talking about the actual pitch time. Like, they're, they're racking up a lot of mileage on their legs. Mm-hmm. And that takes a toll. And it does. Add, in, add in the fact that, you know, it, this wasn't true for our Italian players, but like having the World Cup in the middle of the season, that also takes a toll. Um, like having all of these international friendlies, like when there's an international break, our players are generally good enough. They're playing for the team. So that break is not a break for them. They just have more training and more matches to play. So I guess I would just say, I'm hopeful that the increased depth that is available to the club throughout the midfield will make it clear to people that Cristante and Pellegrini have value. That is not necessarily indicative of how they play in April or May after they've racked up 3,500 minutes already. Yeah. And one thing I just want to say, because, I've said it, I think, on my other podcast, too. Like, just because these guys are making so much money doesn't make them robots, right? They're going to have off days. They're going to pick up knocks and injuries through the course of a long season, just like any of us would. Yeah, they're in better physical shape, and they're more gifted physically than many of us. But the human body is human body, right? It it wears on you after a while, both physically and mentally. And, you know, we'd all love to play football professionally as our occupation, Um but even when it's fun, like it's still got to be physically taxing on these guys. So um, just to wrap on looking ahead to Verona on Saturday, I, I think we mentioned El Shari probably gets dropped and uh, Bove. I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I think he does. But do you think Christensen also gets dropped? Or do you think Mourinho maybe gives him another start to try to kind of find that uh, confidence, I guess, to say, and to kind of find his feet? I'm still really curious about the whole Zeki Selleck angle i feel like he's never really gotten much of a chance i feel i wonder if that's based off of training performances or what because we brought him in it's not like he was like the most hyped prospect in the world but you know there was a decent amount of hype coming in when we brought him and the fact that he hasn't established himself as a starter yet does raise questions for me i'd be intrigued to see him start yeah if Christensen started i wouldn't be surprised um but at the same time yeah, I, I guess I would just say that right back out of all of the positions in our starting 11, I think has the most question marks around it in terms of who will be the starting player going forward. 
Yeah, it was interesting to see Karsdorp was the first guy off the bench. I didn't expect that. It kind of makes you believe yeah, he will still be around unless they were trying to like showcase him or something. But um, yeah. interesting to see that there's still three players around at right back. All right, so I guess, Jim, that brings us to – you know, close to the end. I think before we go, we have to talk about the Mercato. Last week, we covered those midfield additions, which performed well this week. Last week, when we recorded, there was Marcos Leonardo. There were complications, but it looked like Zapata was coming. I mean, what are we hearing now? So now it seems like Marcos Leonardo is, uh, stop me if you heard, you've heard this before, inches away from a deal with Roma to, <laughs> to join the club, in, except in January this time. Um with the usual suspects that we, you know, trust our tier one reporters like Filippo Biafora um, and Gianluca DiMarzio saying that Roma is pretty close to signing him for January as opposed to right now because of the uh, Brazilian season being ongoing. Um, and then when it comes to Zapata, as of the recording of this podcast, on Monday throughout the day, there were rumors that this deal was basically done, that even the medical would be happening today or tomorrow. Uh, but right before we started recording this podcast, uh, there were rumors that Gasparini himself was basically trying to stop the transfer from happening, talking to the players, saying, I want you. And part of that has to come down to an injury that happened to Atalanta's record signing, uh, Torre, uh, recently. But I'm kind of bemused by it just because it feels like the perfect cherry on the Sunday that has been Roma's quest for a backup striker of the season and the Marcos Leonardo deal. Like I think there's actually some argument to be made that it's probably better for him to wait until January to move over here because the way that the South American seasons work, uh, he'll actually end his season with Santos in late November, early December. And then he can just move over to Roma and start training at the club for three weeks before joining up. And I think that could actually be better for a young player needing to transfer to new tactics, new a new club, a new continent. But, you know, um, what what are your thoughts on the Zapata deal, Steve? Do you think that gets done? And do you think that the uh, Leonardo deal is better to be done in January? Or better, would, would it be better to have him now? Yeah, I don't mind it happening in January to start with Leonardo because, like, like we talked about, he's a young player. He's he's a bit raw still. He's going to need some some seasoning. So, I don't mind him getting a little extra time with Santos to get more experience, get a little more game time. Because if they bring in Zapata and Leonardo right now, I mean, can Leonardo really be more than the third striker at this point? No, he's going to need time to get into the swing of things. And guess what? If Leonardo comes and he still needs time to get into the swing of things, if Belotti and Zapata are performing the way we hope they're performing at that point in the season come January, then he can use the spring and get some spot minutes here and there and, you know, kind of be ready for the fall. And maybe he's, he's the, you know, more in the mix in the fall of next season. I mean, he's a 20 year old kid. So there's, there's room there for the growth. And I think you have to give it some time. And if it also takes some money off the price, I'm fine with that because then it becomes a little less of a gamble. If it's like 15 rather than 20. Yeah. They were basically saying that if we were trying to sign him for this season, it would have been, basically 20 in terms of initial fee plus easy bonuses uh, via Fora and, you know, Brazilian sources have now been saying that it'll be like more around along the lines of a 10 million initial fee with maybe two to four in terms of easy bonuses. 
So if we're able to shave off five to six million euros off of this deal, that also strikes me like a good a good idea. Uh, not not to detract from Leonardo's potential and ability because he's thought of as one of the most exciting top American striker prospects there are at the moment. Uh, but more just you know, it's indicative of Roma's financial situation that I would rather to rather have a, the same player for ten million in January than twenty million right now. Yeah, to me, it's a much more palatable move at ten plus bonuses than you know almost twenty of easily achievable bonuses total. Um, Zapata, that whole situation is interesting. When their other striker, uh, forgetting the, his name off the top Albert of my head, the, yeah, the the Tory player, he got hurt last week in training. I was like, wow, I'm surprised this move might still happen because you know it seems like maybe you keep him around. I know they do have Skamaka. I, I believe Muriel is still there. I have to double check. Um, but now they're saying I read one one thing that Calcio Mercato was saying that Zapata was getting cold feet then we're seeing it's Gasparini who yesterday Gasparini said you know he's not going to hold the player back if he wants to go so I'm sure some of that is lip service from Gasparini I don't know how much of the cold feet it is I don't mind Zapata as a second striker to Belotti I think he's still got something to give but I did see that the uh a contract agreement was to 2027. Did I see in that tweet today from, I think it was yeah, from it was a contract. Yeah. That is to me a very long contract for him. I, hey, I don't like contract that. be until 2027. I'd seen rumors of a three-year contract. So wouldn't that be to 2026, 2023? That would be 26. I thought I've I saw 2027. I've seen a three-year contract, so I could be wrong, but even three years scares me a little bit because of his get- age. I get what you're saying there. 2026, um, you're right. It was 2026. It was 2.7 million a year. Okay. I mean, I get the concern about a long-term deal for a player like Zapata, but at the same time, if Belotti had not scored a brace, would you feel more amenable to that deal? Like, I feel like a lot of our conversation about striker has been understandably transformed by the fact that Belotti looks like an, an actually functional striker now. Um, like, the fact, like, it seemed like, to me at least, a far more pressing issue to get a striker in now when I was like, well, Belotti hasn't scored a Serie A goal in over a season. Um, as opposed to now where it's like, oh, well, he looks like he can get back to his goal-scoring ways. Uh I will say that I would rather have Zapata on a shorter term deal, two years maybe. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like Roma's in a bit of a hard place right now where it's like beggars can't be choosers in terms of who's going yeah. to be the backup. And it also, I'll be honest, I would not be surprised if part of the factor for Zapata right now is him looking at Roma right now and saying, hey, look, Belotti looks like he'll be the starter. Why am I moving to Roma to get fewer minutes? Or Yeah, he, get... he could be thinking, if I'm going to be the backup, I might as well be backup where I'm comfortable already, right? I, yeah, exactly. Because exactly. at this and that's point, the question. Skamaka still has to beat him out for that job to some extent, even though they spent a lot of yeah. money for him. You would think yeah. he has some leverage with Gasparini, being that he's been you know playing for him for four seasons now. Yeah, I mean... I, I'm guessing. Uh, so the last I saw from Demarzio, I, I usually check his site. This was from four hours ago. Um, he says Rome is still working for the attacker, um, or attacker in general. Zapata has been the name they've been, you know, most closely linked to, but they still haven't found a an agreement. 
Um, says Roma would like to keep, close the operation uh, and get him for five million plus five million of difficult bonuses. Uh, but Atalanta does not want to accept that formula. Zapata in, has expressed the his willingness to go to Roma. So those cold feet rumors must not be true. Um, complicating the deal is that, like you said, the in- injury to Bilal Torre, um, who arrived in the summer. And yeah, that, that's basically then it just gets into his stats from last year. So to me, 5 million and 5 million difficult bonuses, which is probably performance related, minutes related, that makes it a little bit easier to stomach because then if you're paying mm-hmm. him over three years, you're mostly paying the contract. You're really paying at most yeah. a couple million a season. I guess it makes it acceptable. We also don't know what's going to happen with Tammy at the end of the season. So it, it the yeah. striker position is going to be interesting and we could go on for a long time on this, I'm sure. Just like hypotheticals, but if Marcos Leonardo comes in, Tammy Abraham becomes healthy, you have Melotti and potentially Zapata like in the spring, you're hoping the calendar's still crowded with Europa League and battle for top four, I guess, but it becomes a lot of yeah, players for, for one my position. Guess, my guess is that if, well, first of all, let's remember that Abraham is reportedly only really going to be coming back in March or April. Yeah. So even, even if we're saying in February, like we would only be really functioning with three strikers and two of them were actually used to Serie A. Um, I love Marcos Leonardo hit the ground running, but I don't want to expect that. That seems unfair. Um, So I would say that we're looking at two and a half strikers in February or March. Um, So it's less of a problem in terms of depth uh, than I think it looks at, looks like it would be at face value. Still, I do think that there's an element of signing an exciting young striker that does raise questions about his long-term future in Rome. Uh, I think that, you know, it wasn't that much of a well-kept secret that Roma was considering selling Abraham in the summer if he had stayed healthy. I think the ACL tear for him kind of complicated matters. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I I wonder about a club going forward. Let's say after this season, Roma gets Champions League football. Tammy Abraham, Marcos Leonardo, Andrea Bellotti, and Zapata is the kind of striker rotation you'd want if you were trying to compete on a Champions League level. Um, that could be the vision. Um, yeah, it could, it, could, it, could it could it could be the vision that you've got one established star level striker who's coming back from injury. You've got a guy who might be past his best or two guys who might be past their best but are still able to score when needed. And you've got one wonder kid. Like that does seem like a balance that would be able to find success across two to three competitions. Um, of course a lot of question marks surround Abraham, a lot of questions, question marks surround Marcos Leonardo. But you can see the logic there that it's like, well, Abraham will be coming back from injury, but we know he can score 20 plus goals. Marcos Leonardo has shown an ability to score, but not necessarily in Serie A just yet. So he's a question mark. And then, you know, the hope is that one of those guys actually is able to score. Um, And I would feel pretty confident in one of them being able to score. So, We'll see. I do admit that I think it creates a bit of a long jam at striker. 
but I'm not super worried about it in the sense that I don't think it'll be hard to sell Tammy Abraham if worse comes to worse. Yeah, I agree. And, and like you said, we can't rely on Abraham at all this season, probably very little if at all. And, and you're going to have to get through the fall. You do need a second striker there. So we'll see what happens with Zapata. Um, that seems to be the, the last domino to fall in, in the Mercato with about, uh, what do they got, about nine days left in the Mercato. So I think it's going to be a striker. I know there are rumors maybe they would bring another center back. I don't know if that happens. I don't know if there's there's that much going on, but definitely the striker position. There's going to be somebody coming in, even if it is yeah. like the last day of the Mercato, two minutes to closing. I think Roma will, will finally announce something, whether it's a Ponte or elsewhere. Hey, um, and as Brian reminded us, Mattia Destro, he's a free agent. Free agent, that's true. Um, two things I have to end with. First, Roma's draw, yes, it would have felt a lot worse if we – you know, didn't get to see what happened to Lazio yesterday. I have to throw that in there because when things like that happen, yeah. it's very enjoyable. What was it? Three minutes my, and you have two goals. Yeah. My lawyers have advised me to not continue my commentary on Lazio as a club because I have very negative things to say um, about them as a club. Did you see who got the winner, though, for Lecce? I did not. Who? EDF son that got the winner for Lecce. That's my boy. <laughs> there you go. There um, you go. Thank and you. the second Roma thing, I, t- I tweeted during the match, like, can Roma on their official store please put the SPQR on one of those jerseys because I oh, would probably pull yeah, the trigger please. right away. I think it I just needs a little, it buying, needs that touch. I'm plan. I'm planning on buying the third kit when it releases. For those of you who haven't seen it yet, like, there have now been full videos released of that third kit. It is gorgeous. It's got the Lupetto. It's got the like the uh, popsicle. Adidas stripes on the sleeves. It's fantastic. Um, and the only thing that, like, if we could, if I get the SPQR on there, I would buy it immediately once it releases. The only sponsorship, I, I, I'm still waiting on that Lavazza sponsorship because that was something that I would mm. love to be able to get on there. But get us some money, please, freaking group. Yeah. We need more money to play with. But until then, the SPQR sponsorship looks lovely. Yeah. So I guess we'll end it there. We'll be back next week to talk about hopefully about Roma's first win of the season against Verona. Um, yep. Jim, anything you want to leave the listeners with? Um, I guess maybe the biggest point that I want to say is please don't hate players who vlog over 3,300 minutes for this club. Like, it's really just like, you know, like they're trying out there at the very least. Like they're putting in the time um, and they're people. <laughs> <laughs> So we thank you again for listening. Keep up with the site for any transfer happenings this week as we you know, get close to the end of the Mercato. Of course, all of our post-match coverage from this past week, pre-match coverage for next week. And if you haven't checked out our U23 countdown or any of our positional previews and roundtable, it is all up on the site to get you up to speed for this new season. So thanks again for listening. We'll catch you guys next week.